You probably already did. Reopen your hymnals. 363 was where you just were. And I looked at that and I thought, that song is sneakily mean. That's what it is. So we don't sing it real fast, although you could sing that song a whole lot faster. I hear, you know, then you don't get any of the words. You're just rattling them off, all right? But we were singing verse 3, and I thought, wow, I feel like a liar. Um, (laughs) So I have a witness bright and clear since I have been redeemed dispelling every doubt and fear since I have been redeemed. So what is that? That's a witness to a lost world. Bright and clear. Everybody can tell what? That you're redeemed. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) that becomes very, uh, very difficult to sing at that particular moment. Uh, How many times, how many times could people look at you with what you've done and go, they're a Christian? (laughs) Maybe you're just that much better than me, but I figure all flesh is grass. Let's go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 10. So I felt conviction this morning, so I thought I would pass it along. Um, in, case, in case conviction didn't get to you right there, I thought misery loves company right there. Um, praise the Lord. You know, I couldn't tell you how many times I've sung that hymn. Couldn't tell you, and that just jumped off the page this morning. And uh, I've probably sung that, that phrase, that verse, I don't know, 100, 150, two, I don't know. I grew up in church. How many times do we sing that? You know, and uh, just, it's always a wonder. And some of you have probably seen that repeatedly before, but that was just slid in there for me. Lord kind of pricked me just for a moment. Praise the Lord. And uh, Matthew chapter 10. And uh, we're going to continue the series we started last week. And uh, last week we talked about the Bible, the Scriptures, and uh, the truth of the Scriptures and why we believe uh, in the Scriptures and how God has inspired and and put them together for us. And you have them in English in a King James Bible. And then we uh, ultimately what I'm dealing with is I'm going through our constitution of our statement of faith as a church. And so why do we have these and why are they in there? And uh, this second one that is in our Constitution is ultimately called dispensationalism. Uh, We take what is called a dispensational view of the Bible. And uh, I'm going to try and explain that a little bit this morning. I will not get all of it uh, in this morning, all right? This is probably the most complicated piece of what we have in our Constitution or Statement of Faith. Uh, This is one of the most complicated issues, if you don't really get it down, Uh, And I was looking last night and I thought, I would really like to do this as simple as possible. And the problem is that you can either do it right or you can do it overly simple and not get it right. So uh, I I asked my wife and my wife said, well, you can do it right or you can just do what you're going to do. And I thought, I love you. Thank you. So I said, I didn't like that opinion. I'll call Pastor Legault. And he said, he said, yeah, you should do the long way. Yeah. And I said, okay, all right. I'll stay up a few more hours. Um, that's what happened last night. So Matthew chapter 10 and verse number 32. Uh, Matthew chapter 10 and verse 32 is where we'll start. We're going to go a lot of places again this morning. I know I don't normally do that on a Sunday morning where we run 
20, 30, 40 pages and turn all over the place. I quote usually more on Sunday morning, but I need you to, to piece some things together. And some of these verses are verses that are not normal memory verses, all right? Uh, so Matthew chapter 10, verse number 32, Jesus speaking, Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, him will I confess also before my Father which is in heaven. But whosoever shall deny me before men, him will I also deny before my Father which is in heaven. Think not that I am come to send peace on earth. Well, isn't that what you were told? Jesus is here to bring peace. Well, that's not what he said. He said, think not that I am come to bring peace on earth. I, am come, I came not to send peace, but a sword. Well, that's not the Jesus that you hear about. Came to bring a sword. Well, verse 35, for I am come to set a man at variance against his father and, and the daughter against her mother and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law and a man's foes shall be they of his own household. He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. He that findeth his life shall lose it. And he that loseth his life for my sake shall find it. Jesus Christ is speaking and his statement is, hey, guess what? I didn't show up to bring everybody together. I showed up to divide some people out. And sometimes those are people within your own family and in your own life. Because the divider is not the question of what you like or don't like. The divider is what does God say? The truth is the main the main course of what is going to divide. Jesus Christ shows up as the most polarizing human being to ever be. He divides everybody. He puts them in, they're in one category or another. We understand if you've, been, if you've been saved and you've trusted Christ, you understand there's only two real true breakdowns. I know you get the three, right? The Jew, the Gentile, and the church of God. But for us, it's the saved or the lost. And all of that is based upon one man, Jesus Christ. That's it. He goes, I didn't come, I didn't come to bring peace. I came to divide. divide. Divide one side from the other. You say, what's the one side? The one side are those that trust him and the other side are those who don't. And he, he divides. He goes ahead and separates certain things. Well, why does he do that? Look over at Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17, Paul, of course, in verse 22, is at Mars Hill, and he's preaching to the men of Athens. And he says in Acts 17, 22, then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, ye men of Athens, I perceive that in all things ye are too superstitious. For I as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God, whom, ye, whom therefore ye ignorantly worship him Declare I unto you, God that made the world and all things therein, saying that he is the Lord, he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands, neither is worshipped with men's hands, as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things, and hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on all the face of the earth, and hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation. Why did he put boundaries in? Why did he, why did he divide up the world? Why at, why at the Tower of Babel does he separate them? 
Well, verse number 27, that they should seek the Lord. There it is. If happily they might feel after him and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as certain also of your, poets, your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring, and so on. Uh, he continues. You say, what's, what's he trying to do? He's trying to, to go ahead and say, hey, you know what? There's boundaries. Well, what are the boundaries for? To make it so you can find God. The bounds of the habitations were there. Why did he design the world that way? Why did he set things up? Why did he set nation against uh, the nations the way that he did? Why is it when Ham, Shem, and Japheth step off and they go ahead and then they get to the Tower of Babel there in Genesis and he separates them and they all go in three different directions and they move and the bounds of their habitations are set and everything is put in order? Why? So that they could find God. He divided them. Why? Because they weren't looking to God. The Tower of Babel, they're not looking to God. Let, build, let us build a tower to, make, to get us into heaven. We're, we're going to go ahead and make it all happen ourselves. And so God says, no, I'm going to divide that. Why? Because I want them to realize they need me. I need you to find me. So God divides. He's a divider all the time. And so he tells you, 2 Timothy chapter 2. Second Timothy chapter 2, many of you know the verse. This is the verse that we go to. It is, it is simple and true. Second Timothy chapter 2, he looks at you and I. In verse number 15, he tells us this. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. You know what God told you to do? Divide your Bible. That's the word of truth. He says, you, you need to divide some things. You need, you need to go ahead and, and start taking things that apply over here and divide it over there and put those things over there. Because guess what? All of the Bible is for you, but not all of the Bible is written to you. Amen. All things, the whole, the whole entirety of the scriptures, his statement about it is that all those for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. We can learn... And have example of all of the things that we know to be true out of the Bible. But that doesn't mean that all the specifics are to us. So for instance, uh, I, was, I was talking with someone last night. And the greatest, one of the greatest examples of that is you get to Hebrews chapter 11, right? Are there any New Testament examples in Hebrews chapter 11 of faith? Any at all? Anybody got one in the list? Zero. Zero New Testament examples of walking by faith and having faith in God. Greatest chapter on faith. You know what he points to? All the Old Testament guys. Well, how do I walk by faith? Uh, Paul commands it, doesn't he? He tells us that we walk by faith and not by sight. He tells us the just shall live by faith. He tells us the just shall live by... He does it over and over again and is replete with telling us that we walk by faith. So how do I know how to walk by faith? Old Testament example. Wait a minute. But your faith is in something different than their faith. That's what makes the division. Not one person in the Old Testament, while they were breathing on the face of this earth, trusted in Jesus Christ. They didn't know him. His name wasn't even revealed. 
How do you believe on Him in whom you have not heard? (laughs) And how do they believe without a preacher? Old Testament salvation can't possibly be based upon Jesus Christ and His sacrifice while they're breathing on the face of this earth. Why? He didn't give His life yet. You learn that in Hebrews. A testament is not in fact until the death of the testator. You can't get the new birth without Jesus Christ dying. So the Old Testament can't possibly be the same as the New Testament. Big hint, one says old and one says new. That sounds real simple, but that gets real complicated for some folks. They're different. That's a simple break that God divided in the Scriptures. God is constantly doing that. Easiest way to figure out some of the simplest ways to clear up false doctrines and false issues is is asking three very simple questions about a passage of Scripture. The first is, who's doing the talking? Who's speaking? Because sometimes you get some things where somebody's speaking and they're just a wicked man speaking. You can take a verse very quickly out of context and get some of the worst things you should do. I mean, let's, Abraham, Abraham is a great man, but he lies about his wife so that he won't die. Gentlemen, we learned that's a bad example. Don't quote him when you want to get, that's going to cause you a problem, right? So understand who's speaking and who they're speaking to. The audience is always key. Uh, we have Brother Andrews over there preaching to the kids over in junior church. I'm hoping he's not teaching on dispensations and preaching what I am this morning. It's not the fitting audience. But Brother Andrew's probably going to do some fun things in his message that I shouldn't do over here because it's not appropriate for adults in keeping your attention. I'm, I'm not entertaining you quite the same. My job is to teach you and to preach to you and hopefully not be boring while I do it, but still, right? I should keep your interest, but not the same way he's going to keep theirs. The audience always matters. And so when you find that he's talking to the nation of the Jews, you find out that that's very different than when he talks to the church. Those are two very different things. We'll see a little bit more about that today. And the last thing you need to look at is what's the context? Anybody can grab a verse out of the middle of nowhere and make it say whatever they want. That's not really difficult. You can get all sorts of weird doctrine just from grabbing a verse out of a, out of a passage and saying, hey, well, this is obviously what it has to mean. Well, it doesn't work that way. That's why no scripture is of any private interpretation. You start looking at verses with other verses. You start looking at the passage. Good, good rule of thumb is read 10 verses before and 10 verses after. Figure out what he's talking about. You realize that uh, one of the biggest false doctrines in the world is put out that baptism can save you because uh, his statement to Nicodemus in John chapter 3 is you have to be born of the water and of the Spirit. But they don't finish it. That which is flesh is flesh and that which is Spirit is Spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, you must be born again. So what's he talking about with the water? The flesh. Physical birth. Spirit. Spiritual birth. That's not difficult to figure out if you read the passage. But if you just want to give one verse, you can go ahead and get whatever you want. So how do false doctrines come out? They leave out all of the context, and they don't give you any idea of who's speaking and who's being spoken to. That'll clear up a whole lot. That'll help you figure out if that goes to you 
100% or if it's just something I can learn from. I can, I can see some things in there that will help me live right or to help me do right or to help me not do that or to help me. It's wonderful. Don't discount the Old Testament just because it's, it's wonderfully there for practical use. It just means most of the doctrine in there is not about you. You realize the vast majority of the Bible is not written to the church? The entirety of the Old Testament was to the Jews. So you've got 39 books that aren't even, that really don't have anything to do with you. I know we're pictured and there are shadows of things, but you're pulling out shadows of things that, are the, but it wasn't written to you. Even the New Testament, the Gospels aren't technically, most of that is not even written to you. You're really messing with me right now. You have to figure out what's to you and what's not to you. If you don't recognize the things that are not written to you, you get false doctrine that's instituted that goes toward you, and then you go, oh man, I've got to do these things. Or I can't do these things. The problem in the early days of the church was that Peter and the apostles, their answer was, well, those Gentiles need to go ahead and get circumcised. Those Gentiles need to follow the law. And Paul turns around and is going, you don't have to follow the law at all. He took that out of the way. The, right? The ordinances that were against us, that were contrary to us, he took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross and eliminates it all. And the contrast between, you say, what's the problem? The problem is they were trying to hold one standard that God wasn't holding any longer. Well, if you want to go ahead and go back to the law and, and have all that stuff, it'd be good for you. But it won't do anything for you. Not, not for salvation. Not to keep salvation. Not to maintain anything. You find all that out real quick. You say, what, what's the problem? The problem is that people don't know how to divide their Bible. And inevitably, as soon as you start making the wrong divides, you start getting the wrong things that are, you think are supposed to be for you that aren't for you at all. And so this morning, I am not going to get through all of this in one message. Although if you want to, we can be here till about four o'clock. We'll take a quick break and we'll just stay for choir. And then I'll just, I'll just keep preaching. Um, that'll be it. Uh, no, we're not going to do that, mostly because Brother Larry found out real quick on, on Friday night last week that trying to stand there and, and speak for multiple hours, it's very tiring. Um, he was losing his voice a couple weeks ago. I said, Brother, you just need to strengthen your voice. It'll be fine. Um, but here he is. And so this morning, what I want to talk about in, in Maine is the first laying foundation of this. There's a very simple, simple thing that starts us. And the, the simple thing that, that has to be figured out very quickly is uh, ultimately the two kingdoms that arise. There's two kingdoms that are discussed throughout really all the scriptures, but uh, you start to see it especially with Jesus Christ when he shows up. When Jesus Christ shows up in Matthew chapter 4, he steps onto the scene and his statement is that uh, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. But in Mark, when he goes ahead and quotes him, in Mark chapter 1, his answer is the kingdom of God is at hand. Now, I know this was really silly a moment ago, right? That the Old Testament and the New Testament are different because one is old and one is new. Same rule applies. The kingdom of heaven is not the kingdom of God because heaven is not God. 
and God is not heaven. And so we're going to look at those two kingdoms this morning. We're going to talk about the differences a little bit, and we're going to talk about why that really matters. And then from there, hopefully, uh, in two weeks, you'll retain that. <sighs> because you'll put into practice the greatness of those two kingdoms while you're reading your Bible. And that way you'll remember it. There it is. You'll start dividing because you'll notice the two kingdoms are in there and you'll start working. Uh, if you're using the Bible reading calendar, I know you're reading the Gospels right now. The Gospels are replete with these two phrases, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. Those two phrases show up repeatedly throughout the Gospels because of that. And so let's have a word of prayer and we'll start with the kingdom of heaven. Then we'll talk about the kingdom of God, all right? Lord, we thank you for the morning and we thank you for your goodness. And I pray you would lighten our eyes to the glory of what is in the scriptures. Father, we thank you so much for the goodness and the mercies that you've bestowed upon us. We thank you for the word of God that you've given us. Father, we thank you for, Lord, being a wonderful Savior to us. And Lord, we do pray you would help us as we look at the Bible today. I pray you would help us to see exactly what you're talking about. Help me to be clear and understanding and Father, the words that I choose, I pray that they would be, uh, Lord, concise and proper. Lord, that it would be easy to understand. I'd make it simple to be able to be understood what's going on, even on a complicated topic such as this. Lord, I do pray that you would just work in our hearts, get all the praise, the honor, and the glory. I pray if someone here does not know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior, I pray he would be their Savior before they leave here. Father, they'd call upon him and they'd trust him. Lord, what a wonder it is to have a Savior and know for sure we're going to heaven for all of eternity. I pray everybody here has that same assurance. Lord, once again, we pray you just bless our day. Come back soon in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you would join me, turn it over to uh, Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. I referenced it. Matthew chapter 4 and verse number 17. Matthew chapter 4 and verse 17, Jesus makes the declarative statement as he starts his ministry, right? Chapter 4, he, uh, the beginning of the chapter, he is tempted of the devil, right? He passes the test and uh, then he starts his earthly ministry. He goes out and here he is in his first statement in verse number 17. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so Jesus is proclaiming this, this kingdom is at hand. It's ready to show up. It's ready to be here. It's ready to be, to be received. And uh, he is looking to do that. And uh, so then the question comes, well, you've got the kingdom of heaven. And we know in Mark chapter 1, you've got the kingdom of God. We've seen those phrases. So then the question comes, well, what's the difference between the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God? Well, real simple. What's heaven and what's God? Now, this is why the Christian gets, gets really messed up right here. We think of our salvation and we go, heaven, that's what I got when I got saved. Technically, no. Say, what did you get when you got saved? You got God. When you got saved, what happened at salvation? Christ, the Holy Spirit came inside. So you gained God. You didn't technically gain heaven. Because why? 
when do you get heaven now? When, when do you, if you were, if you were, as soon as you, right, you're saved, you know you're going to heaven. See, that's future. Because heaven is a place. But God isn't a place. Heaven's a place. So then what is this kingdom of heaven he's talking about? Is it the heaven that we get? Or is it something else? Well, we know. Uh, look over at Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. In case you're curious, I have lots more verses than what you'll get today. So if you do have questions or if you do want to know a little bit more, there are piles of verses on this. This is not, I'm trying to keep it, I am trying to keep it simple. I'm trying not to overcomplicate and make this huge, but at the same time, make it exactly what we need for the information we need. If you were to go back to Genesis chapter 1, the birds fly in the open firmament of heaven. Right? And so you get to uh, Acts chapter 1, verse number 9. You've got the resurrection happens, right, in, uh, at the end of the Gospels. And then Acts chapter 1, Jesus Christ is about to go up, right? Verse 9. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And when they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into Heaven, this same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. Say, how did he go up? In a cloud. That's what we look at. They're in the heaven. You say, what is it? That's the first heaven. There's three of them. But they're all places. So we look around the earth and, and the atmosphere that we have is considered the first heaven throughout the scriptures. Uh, we won't for the sake of time, but if you were to go back to Psalm chapter 148, you'd find the second heaven. The second heaven you find there, he tells them to call out, and you say, who's, he call, who's calling out? They're calling out praise to God in, in Psalm 148. The whole chapter is praise up to God. And he's telling not just, not just the creation here, he's telling the stars and the moon and the sun, he's telling all of that to praise from heaven. Well, then the universe is the... Second heaven. So, but how do you know there's three? Turn over to uh, Corinthians, Second Corinthians, chapter twelve. Saying, how do you know that one's the third one and not called the first one? Well, verse number one. Paul says, it is not expedient for me doubtless to give glory, or to glory. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. 2 Corinthians 12, verse number 2. I knew a man in Christ above 14 years ago, whether in the body I cannot tell, or whether out of the body I cannot tell, God knoweth. Such an one was caught up to the third heaven. And I knew such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell, God knoweth, how that he was caught up into paradise and heard unspeakable words, which is not lawful for a man to utter. Say, so where did he go? Well, he went to the third heaven. Say, so what's in the third heaven? Well, that's the heaven of heavens. That's the throne room of God. You get that in Revelation chapter 4. That's heaven. That's where we get caught up to when we get raptured or resurrected. 
When He takes us home, the answer is, we're going to heaven. Well, where's that? That's the throne of God. That's the third heaven. So you've got the earth and its atmosphere, number one. You've got the universe, number two. And then you've got the throne room of God, number three. So there's three heavens. You say, what are they? They're physical places. But when we got saved, we didn't get heaven now. We got God. Different kingdom. Say, well, then what's this, what's this physical place that he's talking about when he references the kingdom of heaven is at hand? You realize Jesus Christ has shown up. He is on the planet. And his statement to everybody is the kingdom of heaven is, is at hand. It's, it's ready to go right now. Well, look over at uh, the book of Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11. How are we doing? Everybody okay still? We're hanging in. We're hanging in. Now, many of you know this. I've, I've taught this in adult Sunday school. I know Pastor Legault has taught this. I know, I mean, you've heard this uh, for some of you, but there's, there's plenty that haven't. And so uh, this is a great refresher. If you don't have it, if you've already got it, it's a great refresher. And if you don't have it, it it's going to open your eyes to some things because this is how God designed the scriptures. Uh, Matthew chapter 11, and uh, Jesus Christ, verse uh, 7, 8, 9, 10 there, he's talking about John the Baptist and how amazing John the Baptist is. And then he says this in verse number 12, And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence, and the violent take it by force. Is that how you got heaven? promised to you for all of eternity? Well, no. So then the kingdom of heaven is not a reference to the third heaven. Because how do you violently take the third heaven from God? Satan's trying that, right? How's that working? It's not. <laughs> we don't violently take... The days of John the Baptist, are they, are, they, are they shooting rockets into the second heaven to go ahead and take that one by force? Well, no. Nobody, nobody even wants it. Uh, I still don't understand why we are. Anyways, um, moving on. I'm going to move on real quick so I don't get myself upset. All right. Uh, so the question, well, then it must be here. This is where men take kingdoms by force. They fight and they fight to obtain a kingdom here on the face of this earth. So then it's a physical kingdom. We understand that. So it's a real place because it's the kingdom of heaven. So it's a real place and it must be something here on the earth that they can take. And they can obtain it, and they can fight for it, and they can try to gain whatever that is. And so back to Genesis. Back to Genesis. Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12 and verse number 1. Now the Lord said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee and I will make of thee a great nation. 
and I will bless thee and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing, and I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that cursed thee, and in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. By the way, that promise right there has never been removed. Amen. That is not an overridden promise ever in the scriptures. Can't find it. He says he's going to give him a land. Notice where they go in verse number 5. Abram took Sarai his wife and Lot his brother's son and all their substance that they had gathered and the souls that they had gotten in Haran. And they went forth to go into the land of Canaan. And into the land of Canaan they came. Look over at Genesis chapter 15. Genesis chapter 15. He says, you're going to go and you're going to go to a land and I'm going to give you a land and I'm going to make you a nation. It becomes a kingdom because a king reigns over it. So that makes it a kingdom. Genesis chapter 15. What's, what's the land he's going to give him? Well, look at verse 17. And it came to pass that when the sun went down and it was dark, behold, a smoking furnace and a burning lamp that passed between those pieces. Now, if you don't know what happened, uh, Abram here has uh, gone ahead and done what he was told. He created the sacrifice with the, with the heifer of three years old and the she-goat back there in verse number nine and a ram and a turtle dove and a young. And he divided them all and he did what he was supposed to do and he's beaten away the vultures that are coming to get it and all the things and he's waiting and the Lord shows up and he's asleep. Abram's asleep. And this fire comes, this, a smoking furnace and a burning lamp that passed between those pieces. Verse 18, In the same day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, Unto thy seed have I given this land. Well, what's the land? From the river of Egypt unto the great river, the river Euphrates. The Kenites and the Kenizzites and the Cadmonites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Rephiams and the Amorites and the Canaanites and the Girgashites and the Jebusites. So what did he give them? Gave them all their land. That doesn't seem fair. He's God. It's His land. He can give it to whoever He wants to. He made it. So it's His. <laughs> you know what He says? He says from the river of Egypt. That'd be the Nile. All the way to the great river Euphrates. Take a wonderful right triangle. You can get it all fit in. If you want a map of it, I've got it. Uh, from the last time I taught all this, the kingdom of, the kingdom of heaven is a land grant given to a Abram right there. Amen. He says, there it is. And it's going to Abram. And if you were to follow it all out and you can get all the verses and feel free, read through the book of Genesis, you know what you'll find? It goes from Abraham to Isaac, no matter what anybody else says. And it goes from Isaac to Jacob. Jacob's name gets changed to Israel. So it goes to his 12 the 12 tribes of Israel, the patriarchs, out it comes. And it goes to his seed forever. The promise is an everlasting covenant between him and Abraham. You say, no, no, it's conditional. There's no conditions right there. Amen. There's nothing Abram even did outside of making the sacrifice and setting it out there. He doesn't have to say, yes, I'll take that. He's asleep. <laughs> He's not saying anything. God looked at him and said, Abram, it's yours. That's it. And it's the kingdom of heaven. It's a place here on the face of this earth. And isn't it amazing that men fight it and try to take it by force? You're watching it now. I mean, talk about current events. They fight to what? To take it now. They want it. 
Why, why does everybody even care about it? It looks like a, a desert now. I mean, I get it. The, la- the time when Abram was there, when the time the, the children of Israel come in, right? In the book of Numbers, they show up and they send the spies in. It's a land flowing with milk and honey, just like God said. And they got the grapes and they got all, and it's wonderful. And the fat of the land is huge. And I know there's giants there, but it's, I mean, it's amazing. But now it's a dust bowl. For the most part, there's not much there. Why would you want it? But I understand fighting for some other places on the earth. But you look over, so why does everybody want that so bad? Real simple. Because God promised it to somebody. And they fight to obtain it and they try to get it by force. But it was given to Abram. And by birthright, it was given to Isaac. And then to Jacob. And then to the 12 patriarchs. And the nation of Israel, it is theirs. And it goes from the great river Euphrates down, I'm doing it backwards for you. So the great river Euphrates will be over here. (laughs) The great river Euphrates all the way down to that Nile River. And it's right there. You say, who promised it to him? God did. And so Jesus Christ shows up. You say, who is he? Well, in the book of Matthew, who is he? We did it at Christmas time. Who is he showing himself as? He's the king. Who's he come to? He's come to a nation. And he shows up as the king to the Jews. And his lineage goes in and he's the king of the Jews. So you know what he says when he's there in Matthew? He says, hey, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You better get right with God because I'm about to sit upon a throne. If I'm the king and I take that throne, you better be ready. But he's not, he ends up not setting that one up. It's delayed because they reject him. Now, I won't cover all of it, but if you want to know about all the rejection of, of God, the Jews re- reject the entirety of the Godhead. They reject, they reject God from being their king in Samuel. Make us a king like all the other nations. They reject God the Father right there. Jesus Christ, we have no king but Caesar. They reject him again. Acts chapter 7, Stephen standing there, ye do always resist the Holy Ghost as your fathers did, so do ye. They reject it and they kick him out and they're done. So why does salvation go to the Gentiles? Because Israel rejected him. They rejected God the Father, they rejected God the Son, and they rejected the Holy Ghost when he showed up. They refused to believe him. And so God says, okay, I'll put pause on you. I'll, just, I'll hit the brakes on you, and I won't give you your kingdom yet. I'll wait. Now remember this. We'll get to it in a moment. God's not done with Israel. He still has an everlasting promise for them. Amen. And the kingdom of heaven is theirs. They just don't own it right now. The times of the Gentiles have come in. So you have this physical side. But look over at uh, John chapter 4. John chapter 4. How we doing? We're still all... Oh, all right. Less amens. Okay. All right. We'll pull you back in here. John chapter 4. Everybody goes, my brain hurts too much already. This is Sunday. Am I supposed to think this hard on a Sunday? Amen. Um, does this count as working on a Sunday? Um, 
Mark chapter 1, right? You've got, I referenced it. You can look at it. It's verse 14 and 15. Jesus, same, same thing, coming on the scene. Here he is. First thing he says, repent. Why? For the kingdom of God is at hand. You look at the gospels, they're constantly changing them and going, depending on the situation, you find which one is which. And so the kingdom of God is at hand. We understand this, John chapter 4 and verse number 24. Jesus dealing with that woman, right? The woman at the well. He says to her, verse 24, God is a spirit. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So the kingdom of heaven is a physical place. The kingdom of God is a spiritual place. It's a spiritual thing. It is not something that you can obtain by force. God is a spirit. The kingdom of God is a spiritual kingdom. Look over at Romans chapter 14. Romans chapter 14. He referenced that kingdom of heaven, right? That's one that the violent can take by force. That kingdom of heaven, they can, they can fight and they can get it. But look what he says about, about the kingdom of God. Romans chapter 14. He says in verse number 17, For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink. What's he trying to reference? It's not physical. That's physical. But righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. Those are not land grants. Righteousness, peace, and joy. If you want to know more about righteousness, peace, and joy... Go to hope. <laughs> a lot of it in there. Righteousness, peace, joy. Hey, what are those? Those are spiritual attributes. Without the Holy Ghost, without the Spirit of God being in you, are you righteous? No, we're all unrighteous. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's not a just man upon the earth that doeth good and sinneth not. We have a million verses that were awful, Right? We're not righteous without Jesus Christ and His salvation and getting the Holy Spirit put inside of us. Well, are we, do we have peace? Well, we certainly don't have real peace. You can't have peace with God without Jesus Christ. Right. You and God are in contention all the time. Without, without the Holy Spirit, you don't have that. <laughs> without being part of the kingdom of God, you don't have peace with God. You're an opposing kingdom. Spiritual, opposing kingdom. Joy in the Holy Ghost. You get temporary happiness, maybe. But then you find something else to try to make you happy again. That's why when he tells you, you can take of the water of life freely. He's talking to the woman at the well. God is a spirit. They that worship him must worship him in spirit. His statement to her is, Whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. Amen. Realize when you have the joy from the Lord, you don't have to worry about getting joy anywhere else. Amen. Your earthly happiness doesn't matter the same. It's a different thing. If you want to hear more about those three things, come back tonight because that's the message tonight. So I'm going to move on because that's the message tonight. Say, so how, how do I get that? They fight to obtain the kingdom of heaven, but how do I get the kingdom of God? Look back at Luke. 
Luke chapter 17. You're going to have to help me out here in a moment. I want to make sure everybody's got it, all right? We're almost there. Luke chapter 17, verse number 20. Luke 17, 20. And when he was demanded of the Pharisees when the kingdom of God should come, he answered them and said, The kingdom of God cometh not with observation. Neither shall they say, Lo here or lo there. Here it is. I found it. He goes, They're not going to say any of that. That's the kingdom of heaven. They can say, Lo here and lo there with the kingdom of heaven. Hey, look, here's the king. He says instead, the end of verse 21, For behold, the kingdom of the God is within you. This is an internal kingdom. Here in Luke 17, you've got, you've got the kingdom of God. It doesn't come with observation. You can't see it. Say, so what is it? It's inside. It's within. Look over at John chapter 14. John chapter 14. Here he is. You say, how do I get it? I mean, you could read the entirety of John chapter 14 for this, in case you're wondering. Right? I mean, this is the chapter, my peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. You want the peace of God? You better get with Jesus Christ. And so here you are in John chapter 14 and verse, uh, verse number 15. John 14, 15. If you love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father, and He shall give you another Comforter, that He may abide with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth Him not, neither knoweth Him. But ye know Him. Well, how do you know Him? For He dwelleth with you and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come unto you. He's looking at the apostles. He's talking to them. And His statement about it is, right, He hasn't died yet. So the Comforter hasn't come yet. The Holy Spirit hasn't come. When He leaves, when He departs, He'll send the Comforter. And that Comforter will be with you and shall be in you. Future moment. Coming in. The Kingdom of God is within. Well, how do I get that? He told him how to get that. Verse 1. John 14, 1. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God? Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am there you may be also. And whither I go, you know, and the way you know, Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. How do I get that inside me? Well, you better believe on him. It's belief in receiving Jesus Christ. John chapter 1, to as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. He comes in, how? By you believing him. Is the belief of Jesus Christ and what he has done for you. He comes in by the new birth. Look over at John chapter 3. I referenced it earlier, John chapter 3. People get worried about going, going to odd places like Acts chapter 2 and John chapter 3. There's perfectly good things in there, all right? You just got to divide them right. 
know who's needing to talk to and what's happening. Verse number one, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest, except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. The new birth is not about the kingdom of heaven. The new birth is all about the kingdom of God. That's what we've gotten. If you're saved in here, you've believed on Jesus Christ, you know what He puts you in? He puts you as part of the kingdom of God now. And you didn't get it by force, and you didn't fight to obtain it. Instead, it was a gift given that you and I can receive by receiving Jesus Christ as our Savior. And it's not getting born by a water baptism. It is that which is flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. He says it in verse number, number 5, Jesus answered and said, or answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, you must be born again. He's going, hey, it's flesh and then a second birth spirit. Baptism's not a birth. He's going, even Nicodemus figures out this is physical, right? Can, I, can a man enter his mother's womb a second time and be born? Jesus is being, all right, well, what is it? There's a physical one. And if you don't have that one, then you're not alive, <laughs> right? If you're not living on the earth, you know what you don't need? A second birth. You don't need a second birth. By the way, if you've got a question about that, that's because they're so innocent, they don't need one. There you go. So how do you know that? Just look at David. I won't go to him, but... Or he can't come to me, but I will go to him. The son that dies. Say, they don't need a second birth yet. But boy, you, you live on this earth, you know what you find? That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. And that flesh needs to figure out it needs a second birth, and when it does, you know what it needs? It needs to trust Jesus Christ to get the kingdom of God. That's what it needs. That's what every man, woman, and child on the face of this earth needs. They need a new birth in Jesus Christ so that He can give them His Spirit so that they can be part of the kingdom of God. You and I, we aren't looking for the kingdom of heaven. But here come the problems. Kingdom of heaven is physical, right? It's a physical place. Kingdom of God is spiritual, right? We get that by Jesus Christ, salvation. Look over at uh, 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3. I'm closing in, I promise. I'm being nice. I won't go to all the parables in Matthew and, and Luke and compare them all and show you. Here's the deal. When you get in there, you'll find some say the kingdom of heaven. 
Some are exclusively for that. Some are exclusively for the kingdom of God. And then sometimes in Matthew, he'll say the kingdom of heaven. And in Luke, he'll say the kingdom of God. And it's the same parable. So what does that mean? That means it can apply to both. That's not hard. It applies to one. It applies to the other. Or sometimes you can get a wonderful spiritual truth in both and understand how both work from the same parable. But what happens? People get very confused. Because if you make the kingdom of heaven the kingdom of God, or the kingdom of God the kingdom of heaven, if you try to make those the same thing, your doctrine will be very messed up. Extremely. Look at what happens. 2 Peter chapter 3, and verse number 14. 2 Peter 3, 14. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that you look for such things. What is that? The new heaven and the new earth. It's promised. Be diligent. That you be found, blame, uh, be found of him in peace without spot and blameless and account that the longsuffering of our Lord is salvation. Even as our beloved brother Paul also, according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest, as they do also the other scriptures onto their own destruction. Say, what's the warning? The warning is to watch out for people who are unlearned and unstable. Because what do they do? They rest. That means they twist it. When you have to change what it says to make it fit what you think you know, you don't know. You just don't know. When they have to add another word or take away some things or manipulate the passage to make it sound really good, when they have to work the numbers and try and change things up so that it looks good over here so that they can get you to believe what they want to believe, that's not the Scriptures. When you start messing with not dividing properly, especially within the kingdoms, you know what you'll find? That's where you get the idea of loss of salvation. It's not eternal. You can lose it. Well, that's because you've twisted some things. Salvation's forever. Well, you've got to have works for that salvation. Where'd you get that? Uh, Something that didn't apply to me? Oh, okay. Every false doctrine is done based upon, well, how's baptism work into salvation? How can we make that fit in there? How can we make this fit? How can it be? All those pieces, you know what you find? You find all of those pieces are just put into the wrong spot. And if you don't have them lined up, you know what you'll have? You'll have false doctrine in your, in, your, in your learning and in your teachings. You have to be, and so you know what you do? If you don't know, don't put it anywhere. Say, what's that mean? That means don't take it on yourself yet. And don't try and shove it in a box because you don't like what it has to say. Wait and see what the Lord will tell you where to put it. Start thinking about it in light of the rest of the scriptures that you know to figure out where it goes. And if you don't know, don't worry about it yet. Martin Luther, Reformation, right? He stands up and uh, he hated the book of James. His statement about the book of James was, I would light my fire with the book of James. (laughs) Because when he was asked, the question of faith without works is dead. 
He didn't know where to put it. But what he clung to was that he knew in Romans that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith alone in Jesus Christ. He clung to that and he may go, I have no idea what to do with James, but I do know one thing, salvation is in Jesus Christ alone without my works. He didn't figure out that verse 1 is to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad. He missed who it was written to. So he missed the application. So he didn't get to divide it out where it was supposed to go. But he knew one thing, it wasn't for me. Because it doesn't match what I know is mine. That's a good policy, Christian. Don't get sucked into some weird doctrine because you think, oh, somebody told me that was for me and now i got to figure out if it goes against everything you know to be true, why would you try and think that that has to go to you? Go, hey, maybe that, that's probably not for me. I don't know who it's for, but it's not for me. Pass it back. I don't, it's not mine. It'll save you a lot of trouble. And maybe just ask about it. Say, hey, Pastor, Pastor Legault, Pastor Thomas, Brother James. There's plenty of guys in this room. I mean, we, I could keep listing and go, hey, you've been saved a while. Do you know anything about this passage? If not, do you know somebody who might be able to help me out? And I want you to know, Pastor Legault and I do not know the answer to all of your questions. No matter how many times he says, ask Pastor Kenny, and how many times I say, ask Pastor Legault, all right? Uh, we do not have the, the corner of the market on all of the intelligence of the Bible. But we may be able to go, hey, this is what I know about it. I got these little pieces over here. Maybe they'll help you figure out the puzzle. Sometimes that's all you need is just a couple extra pieces that you didn't see and you get to go, oh, all right, all right, that's, that's a little bit, that, that'll help me at least know kind of that's not for me and that is. And how to make that fit into the pieces that God is giving. I want to get to something and I'm gonna, I'll just breeze over a couple of pieces, but if you would, turn over to, turn over to uh, Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16 and I'm going to end and there. Uh, I referenced it earlier, and I want to say this just because this, this happens all the time. Religion, religion in the world wants to take the place of Israel. They want all the promises of Israel. They want to take Israel's place. They want Israel's land. They want their kingdom. They want this, right? We're going to bring in the kingdom, and we're going to usher in peace, and then Jesus Christ is going to come down, and it's going to be so wonderful. They take all the promises and God's done with Israel and he's cast them off forever and we're the church and we're amazing and we're... None of that's true. None of that's true. You and I get out of here before the mess happens. Jesus Christ come back and fixes the mess. He doesn't have me fixing it. And on top of that, he comes back because he's coming back for Israel. As Romans chapter 11 and verse number 25, blindness in part hath happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. Then he brings them back in and says, hey, guess what? Come with me. <laughs> and he goes ahead and becomes their God and their king. And he sits upon the throne of his father, David, and he rules and reigns for a thousand years over the nation of Israel and the world. But he's ruling from Jerusalem because that's his chosen people. And so uh, just real quick, just remember one thing. You didn't take any of Israel's promises. They're all Israel's. You got an entirely different set of promises. And by the way, you got a better testament and a better covenant and a better... You don't need theirs.
Matthew chapter 16, and verse number 5. I'm going to end right here. I know I've gone long and I apologize. It was not my intent. But verse number 5, And when his disciples were come to the other side, they had forgotten to take bread. Then Jesus said unto them, Take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees. They reasoned among themselves, saying, It is because we have taken no bread. Which when Jesus perceived, he said unto them, O ye of little faith, why reason ye among yourselves because ye have brought no bread? Do ye not yet understand, neither remember the five loaves of the five thousand and how many baskets ye took up? Neither the seven loaves of the four thousand and how many baskets ye took up? How is it that ye do not understand that I spake it not to you concerning bread, that ye should be aware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees? Then understood they how that he bade them not beware of the leaven of bread, but of the doctrine of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees. Say, so what is the problem that happens to us? Now, this is more application side for us. The problem that you and I have is, just like the disciples, all we think of are the physical. We think of the bread. And we're like, oh man, we didn't bring any bread. And he's like, I just fed 5,000 people. I fed 4,000 people with like nothing. I don't need you to bring me a loaf of bread. If I want bread, I make bread. I'm like, I just, bread, there it is. I don't need your bread. Jesus Christ throughout his entire ministry as he has the disciples following him is a constant of stop looking at the physical and look at the eternal. Stop looking at the physical and focus on the spiritual because the spiritual is going to bring you life. It is going to bring you understanding. It's going to bring you peace. It's going to bring you righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. It's going to bring you all the things that you need. And instead, we struggle at the battle because we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. We don't put the spiritual armor on because we're so focused on the physical realm that we fail to do the spiritual. We want to gain the house and we want to gain and build our own little kingdom and get all the things that we want and the cars and the vehicles and the wealth and the greatness and we want to make our name great and have all these things. That's the focus of a world who wants a kingdom. And Jesus Christ is going, I'm trying to put together the kingdom of God. And you're worried about all those things and you're not worried about anybody knowing me. You're not the spirit of the bride say, come. You're not saying anything. Because you're too worried about all your things here. And you've stopped proclaiming Jesus Christ. You stop doing what you know you're supposed to do because your focus shifts from the eternal, looking on to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, and shifts over to the temporal, and we look at all the things that I need to get done. Say, what do you mean? That's me. I'm with you. You know how easy it is to get distracted to go from what God wants to what I need to hurry up and get done? And we get so burdened with the temporal that we lose sight of the eternal. We're so burdened about the kingdom of heaven and trying to gain what we need here that we lose sight of the eternal and the kingdom of God and what greatness He could give us in the righteousness, peace, and joy that He can bring. We get entangled with the affairs of this life instead of pleasing Him who hath chosen us to be a soldier. 2 Timothy chapter 2. 
instead of going ahead and being sober and vigilant because our adversary, the devil, is a roaring lion, walks about seeking whom he may devour because he wants to destroy the kingdom of God and eliminate you from being able to play any role in it whatsoever and ruin your witness that I just quoted out of the uh, last song that we sang and make it so that your testimony and your witness is not very clean and clear because you're too busy worrying about the here and now. So why does it matter about this kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God? Because not only will it mess up your doctrine, it'll mess up your life because you're so focused on the kingdom of heaven and you don't even realize it. And the devil convinces you that it's a good thing. Well, having money's not bad. You're right. Working hard's not bad. You're right. But are you doing what God asked you to do? I have no trouble with people working hard. A Christian ought to work hard. Ought to, be, ought to be the best worker on the job. But you don't replace overtime and working hard and doing all these things so you can have all the things that you want to leave off what God would want. You don't put off having the right standards and the right things in order and trying to live right and do right and be a witness and a testimony to go ahead and get done all your games and your toys. Why? That in all things he might have the preeminence. Amen. We flip-flop the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God in our day-to-day. -day. And we may have every page right in the Bible and we have it all in the right spot and this is this kingdom and this is this kingdom and we can divide all the verses out, but you don't live like you've divided. You live like you're just part of everybody else. The choices you make, the decisions you have, the life that you want, the dreams and the desires that you have are all about the temporal instead of the eternal. All of our New Year's wishes are always about, well, you know, I, I got to get on this diet and I got to do these things and I want to be better at my job and I want to be better at this and I want to be better at that. How come it wasn't, uh, you know what I want to do? I want to be a better witness and I want to win. I want to win, uh, you know, just 12 people to the Lord this year. 12, that sounds like a lot. That's one a month. That, didn't, that doesn't sound like a lot. But we don't push for those. We push for the temporal. We haven't set our affection on things above and not on things on the earth. We've gone ahead and stayed entangled and messed it all up and tried. And then we wonder why we're not getting the kingdom we want. Because if you take care of the kingdom of God, you know what he'll do? Amen. He takes care of the rest. That's how he's always promised it. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Notice he didn't say to uh, go ahead and go after the kingdom of heaven and all these things. He said to seek the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added. You can't get the kingdom of God by going after the kingdom of heaven. But you can get all the benefits of the kingdom of heaven by being part of the kingdom of God. Isn't that a wonder? Let's go ahead and stand. I apologize. I did go longer than I wanted. But I hope you made it. I hope I made it clear. That the truth of the matter is, you need Jesus Christ as your Savior and you need Him to lead and guide. The Holy Ghost will do that. 
If you're in here this morning without Jesus Christ as your Savior, we'd love to take a Bible and show you the answer to that one question. What must I do to be saved? The Bible has the answer for that. Jesus Christ alone. And He'll save to the uttermost if you're willing to trust Him. Christian, maybe you've been so wrapped up in the kingdom of heaven you haven't been paying any attention to the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Maybe you need to come and say, God, I'm sorry, my focus has just been so bad. I need to refocus. I need to get things on track of what it needs to be. I've been more concerned about the kingdom of heaven and what I can gain than the kingdom of God and what you could gain in my life. Father, I do pray you would bless the invitation even now. Work on our hearts. Lord, we love you and we do pray. Father, we pray we'd see you come today. And if not, I pray you'd help us to live in a manner that's pleasing to our Savior. Father, we love you and pray you'd come back soon. In Jesus' name, amen.